Hear the word of the Lord today. It comes from 2 Corinthians. We've been moving through Acts and then uh, Corinthians and the various churches through Acts that were founded by Paul or by the other apostles and then uh, some of the words and corresponding letters written to those churches. And here we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians again, which Stephen, our pastor, preached on the first chapter of last week, talking about the comfort that God gives us and the comfort that we can comfort one another with. The tone of this passage might feel a little bit differently. Uh, Let's read it together nonetheless, starting in chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Almighty, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This is the word of the Lord. And as I like to do, as we've done many times, if you've done Bible studies with me on uh, worship rehearsal nights, uh, we're going to read these words one more time. Listen to them carefully. It's easy to be underprepared for something so significant as reading from the Bible. And these words in particular, as I said, might be kind of difficult. So let's hear them again. Listen carefully. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Again, this is the word of the Lord. A departure from the word of the Lord on Facebook the other day, a friend of mine recently, or at least in the not-too-distant past, posted a question that she wanted uh, help thinking through. I assume she probably had some answers of her own, but she wanted to posit the question in order to see what responses she would get. And she said this, she asked this, a theological question, Assuming all human beings are God's children, how then shall we receive and handle terrorists? Now, I want to stop for a moment right here and recognize that for some of us, especially here today on Memorial Day, but not just on Memorial Day because every day we carry our loved ones with us, this question is very close to home, maybe too close. I've been lucky. My grandparents are both here. Uh, Mickey and Larry, if you want to raise your hand, I'm sure you don't. 
<laughs> there you are. Uh, in my whole family, as far as I've been told, uh, my grandma Mickey's um, father, Arthur, and his brother Ace uh, were the only uh, people who participated in, in, in war, at least that, that I know, family members that I have known. They both fought in World War II, uh, my great-grandfather Arthur in the Navy and his brother in, uh, in the, um, the Air Force. And his brother, who went by Ace, was killed in combat. And so today on Memorial Day, we remember him, even though I never knew him, even though I don't believe you knew him, um, but we remember him. For my grandma, this would be an uncle. For me, this person is only known to me by ancestral records and an occasional story. Um, but I really have been lucky because the acute tragedy of war has been this distant to me. Whereas for many of you, and the veterans who we've already uh, honored and, and those who are not with us today and others who would normally be with us but are apart on vacation or celebrating, the tragedy of war has been felt far closer. Even so, while death is never good, some of you might hold the pain of it right alongside a deep pride and the selflessness and courage that was shown by your beloved ones. Courage that we can carry in ourselves today because of their sacrifice, and we thank them for the work that they did. But even so, a question about how to treat terrorists is on a day like Memorial Day, a question that means quite a lot, has a lot of immediate implications and a lot of immediate feelings. However, and that was mostly to honor, the main question today at hand uh, does not have to do with terrorists but primarily with the premise by which she set her question. And so I want us to sit for a moment, and then we'll go back. I'll read this question again. She asked, Assuming all human beings are God's children, how then shall we receive and handle terrorists? Assuming all human beings are God's children. All are God's children. Are all human beings God's children? This may be a relevant question. This is a phrase that seems to be growing in popularity. I know I have heard it many times from various Christian folk around. It's a tagline for the, uh, the promotion of love. Because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ and all people are God's children, we love one another. Uh, with this idea held as a doctrine, the base status for humanity is as child of God. Uh, if you're holding to it. So I think that's what this particular girl was hoping to communicate. If we're all the same family, by nature of our basic humanity, uh, wherever we're from, we should all love one another. So what do we do with people who are hard to love or who are even enemies of us aggressively? What do we do? And it's a valid question. And there is no doubt that Jesus calls us to love our neighbors and even our enemies. But I'm here to tell you this morning that by the testimony of the Scriptures... I don't believe. We simply cannot say that all human beings are God's children. Consider this. The Gospel of John records for us a dispute that occurred between Jesus and the Pharisees on the Temple Mount. Remember, eventually all people turned against Jesus, the Pharisees included, and even especially so in some ways. But in many ways, these were the closest persons to him in terms of theology in terms of biblical interpretation, and even a lived sort of righteousness. So if you'd like to follow along, I'm going to read an excerpt from chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, starting in verse 31. 
To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. I am telling you that what I have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Ouch. Wow, that's about as clear as it could possibly be. Well, I don't know if there's any clearer indication than that, that not all people are God's children. It's certainly not the only indication. Let's keep going. That was an example in the Gospels. Paul is frequently using the metaphor of adoption to describe God's new relationship with Christians. Hear these beautiful words from Romans 8, starting in verse 14, if you'd like to join along in reading. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. You hear many parallels between these two things, but what is clear is that this understanding of adoption doesn't really make any sense unless you're being adopted into a new family that you didn't formally belong by the power of the Spirit through the Son. Here, it is equally apparent that it is only by the Holy Spirit, through our baptism in the name of Christ, into the Spirit, that we become children of God. The Spirit you received brought about your adoption. This is something new that has happened, and only to those led by the Spirit. It's not simply an affirmation of something that has always been true of all people. And it keeps going. 
in Ephesians, Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Or in other words, by being born again, we are actually born again into the new name, as if we take upon the last name of God as our own. We are born again as his children, bearing God's very name. In Hebrews, regarding discipline, if you are not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and are not true sons and daughters. Okay, also harsh and pretty plain. Or in 1 John, picking up on Jesus' words in the gospel, this is how we know who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. What about in the Old Testament? Well, for a glimpse of that, we can go right back to where we started in 2 Corinthians, wherein Paul quotes all at once from, he mashes them together and takes things that are repeated in various places as if they're repeated because they're important and significant and true, from Leviticus, from Ezekiel, from Samuel, from Isaiah. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Even just in this little section of Paul, we see that this theme is true throughout the whole witness of Scripture. Come out from them. Be separate. I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters. This is not simply a base status of humanity. This is a new thing. Just as Jesus said, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. This is from John 2. At this point, it's worth mentioning that it's not altogether wrong to say something like all human beings are God's children. It is true, after all, that God is the creator of all people. In a very real sense, all people come from him, and in that way, he is like the parent of all. But Scripture seems to overwhelmingly resist the language of children, It affirms boldly that all persons are made in the image of God. Boldly, all persons are made in the image of God. And we can see that in each other if we have the eyes of God. It affirms boldly that we are to love our neighbors, even when they're foreigners to us. It even affirms boldly that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But it does not say that we are all God's children. Instead, it reserves that language for something very special that God has done. So why is it important for us? Why does it matter, this distinction? Why do we need to consider this thing? Well, first, a few things that it does not mean. A distinction between those who are the children of God and those who are not does not give those who are the children of God any right to boast at all. If the Spirit cries out, Abba, in you, a la Romans 8, testifying with your spirit that you are a child of God, This is not because of works that you've done, but wholly because of the grace of God. Second, this distinction uh, does not make any one of us judge of who is or isn't a child of God. Now, 
there are signs that we can use to gauge. Uh, we do know a tree, tree by its fruit, after all. And we call each other to live into righteousness as brothers and sisters of one another. But we do not simply, by our human eyes, know who is or isn't a child who will or will recently or soon or in the future, distant, be set free from bondage to sin. Just because Jesus did it does not mean we have the right to go around calling people sons of the devil as much as you might want to. That's not the purpose of this distinction. But what does it mean? What does it mean that not all people are children of God? What does it mean that, uh, that this is not simply a basic status implicit in being a human? Well, quite simply, as I've said many times already, and will repeat many more times, because often even when something is said a thousand times, it's easy to forget. We let it fall through our ears, through our mind, out our back pocket. This is what it means. That God has done something absolutely, utterly, breathtakingly remarkable in calling us his children. To be called God's children is not something that simply happens. Christ didn't die and rise again so that we could see something that was just sort of already true. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, came to do something that otherwise could not be done, to set us free from slavery to sin, death, and the devil, and to join us into his eternal life in the household of God, adopted as true sons and daughters, even taking God's last name as our own. And this is remarkable. Before this, we were wicked. Before this, we were veiled in darkness. Before this, we were children of Belial, who is Satan. Before this, we were unbelievers, worshipers of idols, persons who needed to bathe and kill animals as sacrifice, even to approach the outer rings of God's temple. But now, we have been made righteous. We have seen the light. We have been made co-heirs with Christ. We are now believers, and we have ourselves become the very temple of God. Before we were enemies of God, we were as terrorists who sought and succeeded in killing him. We were persons who killed one another, who coveted our neighbor's wives and property, who used deceit to destroy love for our own gain. But now, through the membership of Christ, we are in the family of God, sharing in his Memorial Day barbecue. And if the significance of this transformation isn't apparent enough already, Paul asks us rhetorically, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them. Be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. 
I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, since we have these promises, dear friends, brothers and sisters, children of God, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness in ourselves out of reverence for God. And consider for yourself the extent of this transformation in your own life, in your own body, in your own heart, in your own mind. Are you a child of God? It's the first step. Are you at all? Have you received the spirit of adoption such that you really do cry out, Abba, Father, with the certainty of his love as a child calling for their parent? Or have you lived wholly into your life as a son or daughter? Or are you still trying to mingle with the old you, not taking with truth and sincerity and severity the distinction of your new birth? If not any one of these things, please take this call seriously. There is only one way that does not lead to destruction, and that is the way of Jesus Christ. And in Christ, God has offered you the greatest gift of all, to be his child. The rooms in his house are great. And as we can probably attest to by the shared family meals that we're about to go eat, the food will be delicious. We're going to enter into a time of prayer as the closing to this sermon. Scripture is going to be projected above with various words that talk about further the implications and the results of what it is to actually be called a child of God. What it is to be separate. Not separate in a way that elevates us above or that, uh, that you know, calls us away from and out, but it's separate in a way that distinguishes us as light breaking into, dark, into darkness. So we're going to have a time of prayer. I encourage you, sit in your seat, consider, how are you a child of God? Are you a child of God at all? Do you know for sure? What does it mean? As we pray, um, You'll hear some songs. You'll hear some, some, some finger-picking on the guitar. Um, but read the passages and, and pray in your own heart. And then we're going to have a time of offering, um, of thanksgiving to the Lord, uh, which will be announced. So please, bow your heads.
Father, we give you thanks and praise for calling us your sons and daughters, for taking us out from bondage that we could not be removed from otherwise. And when we were powerless, when we were weak, and Lord, even when we were enemies of you, you sent your son to die for us so that we might become your sons and daughters because you loved us from the beginning. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.